Hello and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Forum Weekly Podcast. My name is Coleman Snell. This episode is covering the 6th to 13th of November. And what we do here at the podcast is we cover the top posts and articles and what have you on the Effective Altruism Forum each week. And this week is especially of high importance due to the FTX situation, which I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out just exactly how to start off talking about it. We have you know, summaries of some news, of course, written by the wonderful Zoe Williams. Uh, thank you to her, as always. I just felt it was important to, to figure out the right thing to say to start it off. And I think the right thing there is just acknowledging the amount of pain and confusion and just overall hurt that's happening right now in the EA community in the wake of the FTX crash and now bankruptcy, along with all the alleged mismanagement and everything else going on. It is a tough time in the EA community. Speaking personally for a moment, I just want to say that during times of crisis are the same times where communities and importantly their values are really truly tested, put up against not just the grindstone, but the ultimate test of value systems. Insincere or not truly widely held beliefs or values often become abundantly clear in such crises. And in the same way, the most virtuous, powerful, and genuine values of communities are also shown off and proven, typically in glorious, wonderful fashion. And I gotta say, the latter is what we're finding with the EA community right now. Within EA and Accenture Risk in recent weeks, ranging from people I've spoken with in community building to policy or climate change work to AI safety and alignment work, I have had overwhelmingly positive demonstrations constantly thrown at me of the wonderful values that this community holds and the sincerity and richness with which so many of our members hold them. I would argue I've seen our community's members demonstrate extreme levels of, like I said, sincerity, care, understanding, and also critically, the desire to do the work that can help humanity as much as possible. So what do we do going forward? Well, again, this is all still me speaking personally. I believe that our work in EA is aimed at doing the most good. That part, I think most of us can agree on. And sometimes in order to do the most good we can, we ourselves need a bit of support. And I think right now is one of those times. So if you need that, there are a ton of links in the description down below. Uh, CEA's community health team is available for you to access. Uh, and also peer support is also being set by Rethink Wellbeing and the Mental Health Navigator. You Again, you can find those links in the episode notes right down below. And also, I want to say that since this is inherently a meaningful venture, doing good is a meaningful venture, I urge members of our community in addition to leaning at leaning into others and trying to support others as best we can, or if we ourselves are in addition, additional support, using those resources. But I really think that a part of the healing process with this is leaning back into the parts of this work that feel the most meaningful for you and striving to recognize every day just how unique and important of an opportunity that we have to do a tremendously large amount of good this century. We are most certainly at a pivotal point in human history and that can be really stressful at times, especially when you're worried about getting funding for a project that you think can help accomplish that. It can feel extremely disheartening. And many, many folks in EA, the vast majority of us, have been in that situation and empathize with that. So beyond that, and, and just the, the default pain and sense of betrayal among many people in the community right now, it's really understandable to not feel like things are okay. And it's also okay for things to not be okay. But through doing that, 
And through recognizing that, I hope what we can do in part is especially be explicit about where people's sources of meaning are coming from. I'm talking about that visceral sense of meaning and intrinsic motivation to do those things that we think are benefiting humanity the most. And striving to deepen such sources in our day-to-day life, being especially conscientious about our relationship with meaning. And I think this is, you know, this is pulling from people like Viktor Frankl and other historical cases that have shown that leaning into senses of meaning in difficult times and community in difficult times is one of the most effective ways of overcoming obstacles and working through pain, not becoming so meaning-filled that you can just push through all the pain. No, but recognizing and actually incorporating it into your worldview. Otherwise, you're just suppressing, and suppression tends to not lead to growth. And this is an experience that I can tell the EA community and many individuals within it are growing from rapidly. I know this story is a little different from our typical episode, but I just felt that was all really important to say. Thank you for listening. So on 11th of November 2022, FTX filed for bankruptcy. The FTX Future Fund, financed by FTX and its founder, SBF, otherwise known as Sam Bankman-Fried, has been a major funder in EA since its launch in February of this year. It's estimated to have provided around 35% of the total funding for effective ultras causes in 2022. Questions around what happened range from extreme technical to uh, personality-focused explanations, but the short is that Binance, a competitor of FTX, sold their stake in FTX's primary coin, FTT, This caused it to drop in value drastically and led to the equivalent of a bank run from those who had money on the exchange or assets on the exchange. FTX turned out not to have the money able to pay all the people withdrawing their funds. And they also claim that this is due to SBF misusing customer funds to prop up his trading company, Alamado Research. This has meant thousands of people with funds in FTX have, as we said, lost them and also many folks within the EA community due to the massive drop in funding uh, have already began to feel the tightening on different funding opportunities. A decrease in the overall number of projects funded by EA organizations has already began and is likely to continue until supplementary funding can be found. A user on the forum named Hamish Doodles uh, has luckily produced a FTX FAQ and it provides a really good overview of the situation as of Sunday the 13th of November. Other key points from posts include the following. The EA community has distanced itself from FTX and is strongly condemning any of the misuse of customer funds. This includes statements by Will McCaskill and Robert Wiblin. The FTX fund team have also both resigned, uh, as well as many others. Upcoming grantees of the FTX Future Fund who have yet to receive money are unlikely to. Money received from FTX after August 11th may also be clawed back. This is currently uncertain, however. There's some chance of earlier grants being clawed back, but this is much, much less likely. If this puts you in financial distress, limited emergency funding is available via nonlinear and the AI safety microgrants round. These budgets are comparatively small, however, so donations are also heavily encouraged. The link for both will be down below. It's also important to note that Open Philanthropy will continue funding long-termist work and is not directly affected by the FTX situation, but their bar, as we said already, will be raised. There have been various discussions on how to prevent something similar happening again in the future, including some of the following private investigators for this case, changing how much due diligence to apply to funders, 
better governance practices more broadly, and whistleblowing mechanisms. So as would be expected with this sort of topic, there are a lot of posts on the A forum right now about this. Those with 40 plus karma are listed down below, and the most recent are listed at the top of this list. Uh, because of this, I'm going to go through the top 10 most recent posts on the topic that have more than 40 karma. And this is not to summarize each one. We'll just be naming off the we'll just be listing off the names of them, uh, but it's to give a sense of some of the topics relating to the FTX situation that are widely being discussed right now. So the first of this 10 is by Eric Naiman. It's called Proposals for Reform Should Come with Detailed Stories. The next is called The FTX Crisis Highlights a Deeper Cultural Problem Within EA. We Don't Sufficiently Value Good Governance by FODS12. Next, we have Effective Peer Support in FTX Crisis, an update by Emily and Inga. Next, we have Safety Microgrant Round. This is an announcement um, of the microgrant program that we just talked about. Next is New York Times on the FTX implosion and its impact on EA by All American Breakfast. Next is Wrong Lessons from the XT, or FTX Catastrophe by Burner. After that, we have the FTX Crash Damaged the Altruistic Agency by Marcus Amathea Magnuson. And finally, we have the FTX Situation Wait for More Information Before Proposing Solutions by Do the Math. Another post of a special importance in this list is a personal statement on FTX by Will McCaskill. Uh, in this post, Will uh, summarizes and uh, vocalizes some major uh, sort of callback to central values uh, that he feels is important for the EA community right now to really, really focus on. One of these specifically that's worth mentioning here is, of course, ends not justifying the means in circumstances that relate to some of the alleged behavior in the FTX fiasco. All right, that is the FTX news for today and this week. So now we're going to move on to our regularly scheduled programming with the philosophy and methodologies section. The first post in the section is called The Welfare Range Table by Bob Fisher. Second post in the moral weight projected sequence, this entry assesses the likelihood of trait possession for each of 11 different species on around a little bit more than 90 empirical proxies that might provide evidence of variation in valence states. The proxies here provide evidence on if the species' best and worst potential experiences would be very different in overall goodness, estimated by Bob Fisher. So one of the ways that Bob Fisher here looked at and weighed overall goodness of different species and to be able to you know draw the difference and, and, and split between the extremes of potential experiences is using hedonic and cognitive proxies. Uh, some examples are things like joy-like behavior, concept of death, reward-based learning, cooperative behavior, individual differences and in personality. And it overall is just a really interesting way of trying to graph and turn into math the overall moral landscape of different species. So the original author also lays out some key meta results that were especially of interest. And there's a lot of unknowns here. It's The topic is relatively new. However, the author also notes a decent amount of cases have positive evidence for specific traits, but very few cases where we have evidence a species doesn't have the trait whatsoever. The most information was known about terrestrial vertebrates, things like pigs, and the least about invertebrates, species like silkworms. Now, in terms of traits, a lot was known about some of them. These include cooperative behavior, communication, and parental care, and very little were known about others. 
particularly affective states like guilt-like behavior, sympathy-like behavior, and shared intentionality. This latter category of particularly challenging to measure or relatively new meta-results uh, are of particular interest for additional research. And next we have an article tackling some of the big problems with utilitarianism, specifically a difference between naive versus prudent utilitarianism by Richard Y. Chappelle or Chappa. Naive utilitarianism is acting whenever the most salient first-order consequences are positive. These calculations are unreliable, and violating people's rights is almost guaranteed to be negative expected value, even when the first-order effects look extremely positive. Because of this, there's many critiques within moral philosophy of just using these first-order consequences. This is well known by utilitarian theorists, as noted, and this leads to something called prudent-slash-rational utilitarians tending to be more abided by moral theorists. The author notes that another value of prudent-slash-rational utilitarians tend to abide by cooperative norms, making them more trustworthy than critics equating their moral philosophy to naive utilitarianisms would think, which helps to bolster the overall value of utilitarianism when it's, of course, in its prudent state, and therefore more ethical overall. Next, for the object-level interventions and reviews, the first is one called Opportunities That Surprised Us During Our Clear Thinking Regrants Program by Spencer G. and Claire Dion. Clear Thinking evaluated over 630 project proposals as part of their regrants program. They share key learnings that updated them toward there being many promising opportunities where ten dollars to $500,000 gifts could make a large difference. Some unexpected room for funding of well-known orgs was one of the findings, and these include Rethink Priorities survey team has significant room for funding for original research to benefit EA as a whole, things like message testing, Happier Lives Institute has significant room for more funding as well, and One Day Sooner conducts activities outside their human challenge trial work. These are things like faster regulatory pathways for vaccines, as just one example of the One Day Sooner opportunities. Some of the object-level learnings that this team of Spencer G. and Claire Dion found was there is minimal work to quantify risks of large-scale volcanic eruptions, quite surprisingly, in fact. Next was also the finding that boiling water using solid fuels contributes significantly to indoor air pollution in low- and middle-income countries. Next is the concept that there are new ideas on how to reduce nuclear war risk despite the age of the field, which... I mean, of course, seems like it probably would have been a bit out of a uh, potential scale of new uh, discoveries at this point, right, given the 60 to 80 year old history of it. And this means that developing nuclear de-escalation toolkits via historical analysis can also be extremely beneficial and needs to be funded more. And lastly, it's hard to detect vitamin deficiency in a population, but point of care biosensors might soon be able to fix that gap. Next is an article by Akash called Instead of Technical Research, More People Should Focus on Buying Time, and also Ways to Buy Time, both by the same author. Delaying AGI timelines by one year gives the entire alignment community an extra year to solve the problem. This is called buying time interventions, and they typically involve convincing AI labs that AIX risks are an important area for concern and providing feasible actions for them to reduce it. Some of these are outreach to AGI researchers or one-on-one -on -one in written form or via coordination events, or alternatively improving persuasiveness of outreach by things of the sort of making ARX risk arguments more concrete, demonstrating concerning capabilities and alignment failures, or red teaming counter arguments that are common at top AI labs. Additionally, support safety 
and governance teams at major AI labs are also another area of decreasing, or in this case, buying time. Develop and promoting safety standards for AI labs is another high impact area. Uh, things like info security and publication policies are important leverage points here. And lastly is potentially many other ideas could help things like creating safety benchmarks, overviews on open safety problems to make it easier to dig into, or alignment competitions are all also viable areas. The author thinks around 40 to 60% of alignment researchers should work on this instead of technical research, particularly if they would be a better fit for it. And 20 to 40% of AI safety community builders should also switch this focus. This is particularly the case if you're able to progress an intervention that buys time at the end of the process of development. This argument posits that since we'll know more and have more tools to help with alignment, being able to delay time at the end of development is actually going to be better than delaying it earlier on. This claim specifically was uh, of a big point of discussion in the comments. Some areas of disagreement, of course, followed. The next is a link post that's titled Economist Chris Blattman and Noah Smith on China, Taiwan, and the Likelihood of War, posted by Stephen Clare. This is summaries of two recent posts by prominent economists on the likelihood of a China-U.S. war over Taiwan using specifically economic frameworks. Both scholars argue that it's relatively likely, and here's a quick summary of both their arguments. The first is titled The Prospects for War with China, Why I See Serious Chance of World War III in the Next Decade by Chris Blattman. And this applies the bargaining framework he developed in his book, Why We Fight. And Chris argues that as China grows its economy and military, war becomes more likely. While negotiated settlement is theoretically preferable, there may be principles, just things as basic as democracy versus autocracy, that are non-negotiable and can't be debated. And China harmed its reputation for sticking to settlements with its crackdown Hong Kong as well. The other argument presented by Noah Smith is titled, Why I Think an Invasion of Taiwan Probably Means World War III. In this, he uses game theory to predict the most likely war scenarios. And two specific points here are weighing up factors like national pride, reputation, and military cost in terms of their importance to each of Chinese and American leaders. And he also measured this by using these weights to then assign expected payoffs to different actions and decision tree with three cascading choices. These were China on if it will invade Taiwan, China on if to invade the U.S. bases first, and U.S. on whether to resist the invasion. Given his assumptions, the equilibrium solution is for China to invade and attack the U.S. to maximize its chances of victory, nearly assuring the outbreak of a major great power war. However, the assumptions might not be great, and he discusses how they don't take into account certain things like misinformation or the U.S. resistance outcomes being too negative for both countries for either to take the path to war. However, it's still very scary stuff. The next article we have is called Tracking the Money Flows in Forecasting by Nuno Sempre. And this is a list of 27 forecast organizations within and outside of EA, including description and rough estimates of their rough monetary value and social value. The next article is by Neil Doligan, and it's called, Does the U.S. Public Support Radical Action Against Factory Farming in the Name of Animal Welfare? This is a pre-registered survey by Rethink Priorities, where they found U.S. survey respondents were around 8% likely to support slaughterhouse bans when arguments for and against were presented, and response are asked to explain their reasoning. Around 20% show support when not asked for the reasoning, 
And previous surveys by the Sentience Institute found around 40% supported or said don't know slash no opinion to questions on banning U.S. slaughterhouses. Again, these are of course only in the U.S. The team suggests the discrepancy in results shows attitudes expressed by poll respondents in response to broad questions may not be reliable indicators of actual support for specific policies or messages. Testing responses to more detailed messages and policy proposals will allow actual information on how extreme and moderate to make different proposals in practice. The next article is called How to Change a System from the Inside by We Eat Quince, I believe. Very interesting name. A guide on how to change your organization's rules, protocols, decision-making, culture, or ethos from the inside. This was originally written by UK civil servants, and the author is most confident it applies in that context, but has adapted the post to give advice more broadly to staff from juniors to middle managers in other large organizations in other large areas. The process suggested here is the following six steps. First, understand what needs to change. Things like being observant, learning best practices, brainstorming and prioritizing ideas, gathering evidence, and understanding why it hasn't been fixed already. Second, understand how things have changed already. Talk to those making changes, identify precedents, etc. Third, create space for action by doing your day job extremely well and exploring options with your manager to add this new objective to your day job. Four, fix things you can fix. Start small and smart. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Five, build a group of collaborators. This is networks of different people who can be allies and correspondents in your efforts to improve the organization. Find others with the same goals or similar goals. Build networks of allies. Make them into a team with clear responsibilities and action points. And six, involve senior staff. Things like building credibility, working out who can pull the right levers and who to talk to about pulling said levers, as well as being particularly strategic about how you're approaching these senior staff members are all critical ways to help increase likelihood of it going well. The author also notes that change is slow and can fail or be limited by external factors, but giving it a go can be good for learning and career capital even when it fails. Therefore, why not try to improve the institution's we're involved in. Moving on to the opportunity section, the first we have is called Apply Now for the EU Tech Policy Fellowships 2023, announced by John Wilvin Putin, Cillian Croson, and Training for Good, as well as Steve Thompson. This is an eight-month program to catapult grads into high-impact career paths in EU policy, mainly working on the topic of AI governance. It includes remote PT work, working and studying starting in July and August, and also a two-week long policy training process in Brussels, and the choice of five-month placement at a host organization or support applying to other EU policy jobs. It's also specifically open to EU citizens, and the application deadline is the 11th of December. Moving on to the community and media section for this week, we have a post called What's Happening in Australia by Radley Tejandra and Nathan Shearburn. The authors note in this piece that a lot of the EA-aligned work being done in Australia involves working remotely with the international community. But there's also a growing list of projects at least partially led by Australian residents in Australia itself. This post compiles all these different projects together and provides summaries, who's working on it, links, and requests slash calls for action for each. 
These include the AI Safety Australia and New Zealand, AI Safety Support, EA Pathfinder, Foundations for Tomorrow, Giving What We Can, Good Ancestors Project, High Impact Engineers, High Impact Recruitment, Insights for Impact, Lead or Lead Exposure Elimination Project, Quantifying Uncertainty, and Give Well CEAs, Ready Research, and the Sentience Institute, just to name a few. Google Scholar is now listing some EA forum posts by Peter Slattery is our next post. When typing effective altruism into the Google Scholar, some EA forum posts are now showing up, although without proper titles and sometimes without proper explanations either. DAO Maxi explains in the comments why this would happen and how it's possible to either manually add articles to Google Scholar or for the forum team devs to include tags that will do it automatically with the correct details in suit, obviously. Currently, it looks that 48 different forum posts are already indexed on Google Scholar, and that number is growing. Some advice on independent research is our next piece, and it's written by Marius Hobahana. You might want to do independent research as a side or a transition project if there aren't positions open in your area where you want to do research, or because you value independence and flexibility. The author has several tips for doing this successfully. First is identifying if you're primarily looking to produce useful outputs or to upskill. This will help you decide between different options, things like re replicating current key research versus doing just new research. The second recommendation here is get feedback early on. Your project and your goals and your plans are all things that are very important to get a quick start on correcting any of the misconceptions of, hence talking with people and getting that feedback is really critical as one of the early steps. The third recommendation here is have clear research goals. And also importantly, reevaluate them from time to time to see if your plan is the most effective way to get there. Four is collaborate with others. This is known to be motivating as well as useful. And also it can just be a lot more of a good and enjoyable process that of course adds to the motivation and usability of the research. Create accountability mechanisms is the next point of recommendation. These can be done via intermediate goals or committing to posting results. And six, be more active overall. Independent researchers have less structure and more responsibility, and that can be really challenging. Hitting the ground running and focusing on impact and activity can help to bridge the gap. The next announcement is that the eight-week mental health program for EAs has finally published their results. It is a eight-week mental health program, like I said, for EAs. This includes an eight-chapter workbook and resources for facilitators to run weekly workshops to overall increase the mental well-being of different EA folks. We got two more. The next one is AI Safety Groups Should Imitate Career Development Clubs by Josh C. If you want talented ML students to learn about AI safety, offer them what they find valuable. Things like projects and skill building that create career capital are great places to start. This is the model of the ML at Berkeley program, which is run unpaid, requires 15 hours per week commitment just from participants, and is extremely selective. It has an acceptance rate that is more skim than many Ivy Leagues. And it still has over 50 students and is overall thriving as a program and organization. Meaning that there's something in the secret sauce that they are doing quite well, and luckily Josh C made it not so secret anymore. Many groups are more discussion focused and could really, really benefit from this point. The last article for this week is called EA Images by Bob Jacobs. 
In this, the author talks about how they design symbols for utilitarianism flag, their local EA group, and the common EA mindsets, which they share in the post down below. It, they look really cool. I'm very, very happy that about this work being shared. And they've also created a lot of banners and thumbnails and images used elsewhere on the forum as well. I really love the work that Bob Jacobs is sharing here, and I really would love to see more folks on the A forum showing some of the skills that they have that are perhaps artistic or more design focused because it overall is just really, really cool to see. So thank you guys very, very much for listening all the way through. This was a long episode, and I appreciate you guys listening through to the end. Remember to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will see you guys next week.